There needs to be some type of what we term forgiveness in order to bring restoration of relationship again. There needs to be a cutting away of that which has gotten in between. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it for other people. Okay. Um, I, I can't, you know, cut whatever you're carrying away from you. Okay. Um, that's beyond my ability to do that. I think one of our problems, um, this, let's go this way. I think one of our problems is that we don't take sin seriously enough. And one of our problems is we don't fully understand sin. This book is all about forgiveness. It's all about restoring of relationship. Um, if you remember, if you have this book, you can turn to Genesis 3. Which I think in order to understand we have sin, we have to begin with. God has created a world that is in absolute perfect harmony. And he's created man and woman in his image and put us into that world and there is complete harmony in fact there's actually this verse that says at the end of chapter 2 the man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame there was nothing to hide there was just a total openness of relationship between man and woman between man, woman, and God. And as you begin to read chapter 3 of Genesis, the serpent comes in and says to the woman, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but the Lord said, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. you die. If you disobey God, you'll die. Problem is that you know exactly what happened. The woman ate of the fruit and she gave it to the man. And he ate. And it says that their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. They immediately realized that there was a problem and they immediately tried to hide. They sewed themselves fig leaves together to try and hide their nakedness, 
to try and somehow make it so that they could again live in relationship with one another. But it didn't work. And then it goes on and it says, And God was coming to the garden in the cool of the day to spend time with man. And he calls out, Adam, where are you? And Adam is hiding because he knows that he is naked. He knows that there is a break in relationship and he can't face God. Now what is wild there is they eat of the tree and if you've ever just kind of read this straight through without knowing anything, you kind of go, well, great, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die and they eat the fruit and guess what happens? They keep living, right? Now they eventually die, but they keep living. They don't immediately die. But they start hiding they start trying to figure out ways to cover up themselves, to make life bearable, to do life. And you know what God does? God comes and says, what did you do? And he kicks them out of the garden, and he does it, it says, so that they don't eat of the tree of life and live forever in that condition. Okay? There's almost a grace gift of God at that point in time. But he kicks him out, and immediately the next thing he does is he kills an animal, and he makes for them clothes out of the skin of the animal. There is a shedding of blood and a covering that God does at that point in time for Adam and Eve. And then he kicks him out of the garden. And when you go to chapter 4, the next thing that you discover in chapter 4 is that Adam and Eve have kids. And the one kills the other because he's jealous of the other. And there is this, in a sense, an explosion of separation of relationships between people. An explosion of separation that ends in death. Both for Abel and then for all of us is death. The penalty of sin is death. Period. And before that death is complete separation, which is really why, you know, that death increases. It's because as we're completely separated one from another, then we keep grasping things for ourselves. We keep taking things at our own hand. We keep relying on our own ingenuity to do things. We keep saying, I have to have it my way because that's the only way I know to make sure I take care of myself, that I'm covered up, that that I'm safe. And all the while I'm not really being safe, I'm only making matters worse. There's a verse in Exodus 34, 6 that reads like this. I can't read this morning. I just lost it. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, 
the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining to thousands, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children and the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. There are consequences to sin. Sin gets passed from generation to generation to generation. Because all it does is is it teaches us that we have to take care of ourselves. That we have to do it ourselves. And we don't know how to do it ourselves. And so we grasp and we kill and we hate. But we have a God who is slow to anger. We have a God who recognizes that we can't do it ourselves. We have a God who kills animals and clothes Adam and Eve, giving us a picture of what he's going to do once and for all himself on a cross. When he comes and he allows himself to be killed, in a sense, he gives himself as a sacrifice in order that we might receive a once and for all covering. In order that we might receive the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness. Okay. Sin is not just some act of my yelling at Tanya. Sin is this deep-seated place inside of me that says, I know what's right. I know how to do life. And I'm going to do it my way. Sin is me, in a sense, becoming God. And until I realize that that type of attitude will lead to death, and that I can't get rid of that attitude myself, then everything that I do is a little bit like me trying to cut off the back, the sin out of my own life. It just doesn't work and it ends in frustration. In a sense, you know, there, there used to be um, something called a debtor's prison. Do you remember debtor's prisons? Okay, in, in the Old Testament actually, or in Jesus' day, if you owed somebody money, what you could do is if you could not pay them back, um, you would become their servant until you worked off their payment. In a sense, I owe this huge 
amount of money. And it is absolutely impossible for me to pay it off. And what Jesus does on a cross is he basically lets, gives his life. He, in a sense, he gives his life. He, gives, he takes on death as a substitute for my death. He, he basically pays the debt that I owe so that I can start all over again, so that I can begin again completely free of any debt. But it actually gets even better than that. Because not only now am I completely free of any debt, I now have an unlimited bank account. Okay. That is mine. Okay, for the asking. But the question gets to be, not whether or not I get this intellectually, the question gets to be whether or not I live in to the reality of that. See, this relationship with God got broken because I decided to be God. And Jesus says, okay, no problem. Not no problem, big problem. But I'll take your death so you can start again in relationship with God. And if I basically say, oh, okay, thanks, and then turn around and go back and playing God... I really haven't gotten it. Is it making sense? Okay. And in a sense, all I've done is intellectually said, yeah, I'm forgiven, and then I go back and continue to do life the way I used to do it. And that's not the point of the cross. The point of the cross is that I am forgiven so that I can start again afresh. No longer trying to do it out of myself but now doing it out of the power of Jesus within me, out of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Out of realizing that now I'm an adopted child of God and everything I need is mine for the having. Okay. So part of forgiving or being forgiven or this whole aspect of, of all is forgiven is understanding truly, yes, everything is forgiven. The debt's paid off. I have an unlimited bank account. And I start now living in that relationship with God all over again. Clean slate, adopted child of God. Okay. Now, if that's who I am, if that's what I'm living in, and you come at me, and you owe me five cents. What am I going to do with that five cents? I'm going to probably say, you know what? I got more where that came from. Don't worry about it. Right? In a sense, that's really how it is with the relationship between me and you when it comes to forgiveness. I have been forgiven so much and have so much. Everything I need is given to me. Why would I let your five cents be a big deal? Okay. If I'm letting it be a big deal, what that's really saying is that I don't really get everything that I have. I don't really get everything that I've been given. Instead, I'm still trying to grasp on and hold on to everything. Okay. I mean, 
if I'm five cents is still a big deal, then I've forgotten how much I really have in the bank, right? See? And so I'm going to do the same thing that God did to me. I'm going to basically say, you know what? I'll pay that debt of five cents. Who cares? Because I got more where that comes from. So my forgiving, in a sense, is basically my releasing the debt that you owe me. Because I'm no longer expecting you to meet my needs. They're already being met in God. Okay. Now, again, um, Lou Smeets makes this comment that forgiving is not forgetting. Okay? Um, I don't think God forgets about the garden. I don't think that God forgets that he allowed his son to die on a cross as a substitute for us so that rather than our dying, his son dies. I don't think God forgets that. But what God does do is because of that, he says, debt's paid, let's start over. Let's begin again. And so in my relationship with other people, when I forgive the debt, it's not necessarily, I'm saying it's never happened. It's just saying we're going to start afresh all over again. So every day God is coming to us and saying, it's a fresh beginning. Live out of my bank account. And the question is, am I doing that? Or am I taking that step backwards and grasping things myself? Okay. Sin is not this little action. It is this big attitude that I live with as to where I look to to have everything I need. Let's go to that first slide, I think. No, the second slide. Um, John Stott said, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. so that I can start over. The real reason why the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, is unpopular is that it's grievously wounding to our pride. See, I'm, I'm basically, all too often, I get up in the morning and, and I basically go, God, thanks for forgiving me. I got it from here. Let me, let me, let me pay you back. Okay? And then I start trying to work at things again rather than living in the reality of this new relationship I have with God as his child. How often are you trying to pay God back? Because I want to be in control. Because I want to be God. See? I want to do it rather than let God do it. It's a pride issue. Right? 
Luther says every morning, get up and say, Lord Jesus, you put on yourself what was mine. And you put on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I could become what I was not. You became my sin. I have become your righteousness. You became a sinner in my place. So I now am loved and the righteousness of God in you. Let's go back to that first slide. What happens in the prodigal son? Prodigal son comes to his father and says, you know what? Let me have what's mine. I'm going to go do it my way. And he does, and he squanders everything. And he's a complete failure. And he goes back home to his father eventually, and he says, you know what? Even my father's servants have it better, so I'm just going to go talk to my father. He responds, he goes to his father, in a sense, still trying to control his life. He's come up with a solution to how he's going to solve this problem, and he rehearses the speech all the way home. So he could put his solution in place. And while he's yet a long way off, the father sees him and goes running to him. And the son tries to spit out his way of doing things and the father throws his arms around him. He says, my son's home. And he goes... Go get the robe. And he covers up. Again, that that covering up of all of the dirt, all of the garbage, so that it's not seen anymore. So, So that now what is seen, you know, is the son. The son of the rich landowner father. Go get the ring of authority and put it back on his finger. Okay. Let's go throw a feast. Let's go celebrate. Okay? The father does it all. Rembrandt, or um, Henry Nowen has a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's just this little tiny book about this big. And, it, and it's a great devotional read sometime. I would really recommend it. But he sits back and he stares at this picture forever and he talks about it. And one of the things that he highlights in this picture, in, in, they recognize this in this picture, is that the head of the son is actually like the head of a newborn baby. It's the innocence of life just beginning. Okay. Um, the other thing is there's a difference between the hands on the father. Okay, One is a strong hand and one is the caressing hand of a mother. One of our problems with forgiveness okay, is that we honestly believe that when something is done wrong, there is a debt that needs to be paid. Okay? Um, if you spit in the face of my kid... I'm probably going to try and take you out. Right? I mean, you don't have a right to do that. Okay? Probably even more so than the kid. could probably just wipes the plate off. But, you know, you just did this to my kid. Okay? We know what's right and what's wrong. And when something is wrong, there's a debt to be paid. A parent who does not discipline their child creates a spoiled, unruly child. 
right? We know that there is right and wrong and limitations and boundaries that need to be put in place. Justice needs to be done. Cain kills Abel. That's not right. Justice needs to be done. But again, we have a father who is slow to bring about justice. He's slow to get angry because of his great love for us. Because he also, in a sense, is the father of the one who created the injustice. See, he wants to do everything he can to try and make it right. And so what he does is he puts himself in our place. And so you have this perfect combination of love and justice and are given the right to receive and walk in what he's done. God is patient with us, patient wanting that nobody have to bear the weight of their sin, patient that we would receive the gift that he has offered to us in paying the price for our sins if we will enter into that and receive it. But again, entering in and receiving it means that not only is my sins covered, but it means that we get to start completely again and I get to start completely again with all the riches that are mine in Christ. I get to start again with the Holy Spirit within me, enabling me to live as Jesus lived, enabling me to live as I was intended to live in the first place. And that's a growth process. That's what we call sanctification. I have been justified. The debt's been paid. And now I am being sanctified. I'm becoming that person. I'm starting again. I'm be learning to grow up, born again, learning to grow into that person that God created me to be in the first place. But am I entering into that process? Or have I basically, again, just kind of packed my bags and left home and trying to do it myself? All is forgiven. Am I living in that forgiveness? Okay. Now again, the problem gets to be now when somebody else is hurting me, the relationship's been broken. Okay. Now what, what happens at that point is, and I'm going back, I'm repeating myself, I can go back and I can say, you owe me five cents. And I can make my life about that five cents. Or I can let God take care of the five cents. I can let God be the atoning sacrifice for that person too, the way he has been for me. Thus opening up the door to having relationship again. Now as somebody said, you know, the person who I'm have to forgive, has to enter into that forgiveness the same way I have to enter into that forgiveness with God. Okay? So, you know, part of the dynamic of a broken relationship between me and another person is it's one thing for me to forgive them, it is another thing for them to walk through that door of forgiveness. 
Am I making sense here? Okay. I can't do their part. But I can do my part. I can say to them, anytime you want to start, we can start over. Whether or not they want to do that or not, that's their issue. Okay. God is saying to me, let's start over. And he's saying to me, let others start over. And I'll give you the Holy Spirit in order to learn how to help make that happen. And empower that to happen. And give you an understanding of that to happen. If you will live in that. Okay. Um, let's go to the next slide. So we've got here, going through here. Just keep kind of scroll through for a minute. Oh, I know. Hey, let's go back. There's... Um, so one of the things you're going to get sent that I'm going to send to you, you get all these slides through the mail, right? So um, these are all, um, I, I went through the confession, the uh, Westminster Confession, and was reading what it said about justification and sanctification and atonement. And um, so that last one is the benefits are the assurance of God's love, peace, um, of, oh, it shouldn't be a peace of conscience, there shouldn't be a, sorry. Anyway, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and the perseverance there until the end. Let's keep going. Um, you'll get this one. Tim Keller. So until you see that you're a sinner, Christ's love is not demonstrable. In fact, to the degree you see you were a sinner, to that degree Christ's love is demonstrable. The greater you see the nature of your sin, the more transformed you are when you actually get a hold of the cross. Um, which means the more galvanized you are by God's love. Let's keep going. Uh, next page. Go for the next one. So, um, here's the deal what happens with Joseph, okay, and what happens with us with other people. Is when we start judging other people, in a sense, we put ourselves in God's chair. Okay? Um, We say we know better than God. We say that we know how to take care of things better than God. When we, in a sense, basically don't forgive other people, we also um, no longer see the big picture that God sees things from. And then we also no longer show others God's love as we've experienced. Okay. Um, Joseph, that story, um, really has no reason to forgive his brothers. There's a certain point where he does train his brothers up, but he recognizes that behind everything is really God and that God is the one who is working all things and that God is the one who gives all things. And so in Joseph's relationship with his brothers, what he's really doing is he's showing his relationship that he has with God. As a community of believers, we are to extend to others the relationship that God has extended to us. Okay? And again, we can only do that because 
we are so assured of the relationship we have with God. And so it becomes really interesting. This section on forgiveness is kind of at the end of the worship section. Because it's only as we understand who God is and the love of God and the graciousness of God that we can receive forgiveness and and respond in thanksgiving. But in my book, somebody put my book together wrong and um, it's because I stole my book before it was really put together right. You need to understand that. Just, just, I caught that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, In my section, it was part of the become section. And in a sense, that's awesome because really forgiveness straddles the two. Because I have been forgiven, I worship. Because I have been forgiven, I now become like Jesus, living like he does, extending his grace to others. Okay. My question is, you go today, is are you treating sin like a swapping back and forth of $5 or $10? Or are you recognizing the magnitude of your attitude that leads to death when you try and play God because you foul it up so badly and I foul it up so badly? And have you received the new beginning that is yours in Jesus to live by his power out of the wealth of his riches as a forgiven individual extending forgiveness to everybody. Um, Two things in in passing. One of um, the words, I mean, you're going to see a slide which has all the words on there. Oh, I know. I'm sorry, real fast. Um, That I was looking up with forgiveness of sins. Atonement which basically is a covering, a cleaning, which is what God does with us, okay? Um, the justification, you know, I mean, the paying of a debt, okay? Um, one of the things are, are such words as propitiation, expiation. <laughs> hate those words. Um, propitiation talks about, in a sense, doing something in order to get rid of the wrath of God, Um, You can overdo that wrath word, but that's why I like that illustration about spitting in your kid's face. If I spit in your face, in your kid's face, you're going to come at me, okay? Not because, in a sense, of your wrath at me, but because of your love for your kid, okay? So understand sometimes God's wrath is his anger, that is there that comes almost out of a sense of absolute frustration and love of wanting things to be different. And that's what happens when Jesus dies on a cross as he lets us all start again, okay? Um, So just some of those words. But the other word that that came out for me was jubilee, okay? Um, One of the things that never got practiced in, um, but that God told the Hebrews that they were supposed to do, is every seventh day they were supposed to rest, every seventh year they were supposed to rest, and every 50th year, okay, was a year of jubilee, when they were supposed to basically cancel all debts and start again. 
That's what God does, is he gives us the freedom to live in jubilee. All debts are canceled, and we begin again. But what does it mean for us to cancel all debts for others? Okay? And I'm just not talking about the fact that somebody took me out verbally on the telephone yesterday. They didn't, but illustration. I'm talking about what does it mean to cancel all debts Maybe for the person who's on the street. Okay. For the person who's made wrong decisions the entire day of their life. Okay. Um, what does it mean to cancel all debts for foreign powers sometimes? Even. Okay. What does that look like? The Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, okay? That's a corporate R. That's just not these little momentary actions that I do, but it's the attitude that we as a world have. And how do I confess for the entire world before God? Okay, that's just another whole level of what we're being called to. One other dynamic, and we'll close on this one. Matthew has something called the sin, forgive us our debts. Luke has something called forgive us our trespasses. Trespasses are the things I do. Debts are the things that I owe. In a sense, the things I don't do. Okay. In some respects, it's easy to identify my trespasses. God is asking me to go before him and say, show me the things that I've not done, that I've left undone, the things that if I've begun anew in you that I should be doing. Help me there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. May we live in it. May we extend it. May we be a community of the forgiven, forgiving all who enter in. To your praise and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.